At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. That's Rich Valdez on all of the social media, and happy to be here with you. If you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free to pull up a chair, kick up your feet, and enjoy the show. Where I'm here with you till 1 a.m. Eastern, so that's the next three hours. Whether you're on the West Coast or the East Coast, I'm happy to be with you. I know we've welcomed uh, some new affiliates. We've got about five new stations that are joining us all uh, from the Midwest to the West Coast. So welcome to the conversation, Familia. Happy to have you here. Again, our telephone number, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. And we're going to talk about FBI lies. Christopher Ray uh, he gets grilled on Hap- uh, Capitol Hill today. We're going to talk about that. We're talking about Biden flopping in Lithuania. We're going to get into that a little bit as well. Uh, plus, a little bit later on, uh, some conversation on what is going on with the... I guess it's a bill. You know, I don't want to use the wrong word here, but a bill that Bernie Sanders and uh, the crazy lefties in Congress are proposing that would actually raise drug costs. We'll get to that uh, in the next hour. I also want to nail down a, a few different topics. Uh, we've got a bunch of things from immigration uh, laws and issues that are happening down at the border uh, to the uh, Chris Ray situation that I mentioned. We're going to get to that. Uh, so lots to discuss, not the least of which uh, at the bottom of the hour, hour number two, we're going to talk about some human trafficking topics because that's uh, always a hot topic and something we never uh, neglect to talk about here on this program. But I want to start, right? So anybody who is busy all day and uh, taking care of your family, working, doing all those things that you do uh, on, a, on, a, on a Wednesday, then uh, it's understood that you may not have heard all of these um, hours of testimony that were provided by FBI Director Christopher Ray to uh, members of Congress today. But we have a couple of clips for you that you may have heard uh, parts of. I'm going to try and give you the full context of these clips so that you can make uh, decisions for yourself when you're given all the information. The first of which, and again, eye-opening, nothing very surprising, but definitely eye-opening. Uh, the first of which is Representative uh, Tom Tiffany having uh, a discussion or questioning uh, FBI Director Chris Ray at the hearing today. And uh, Ray emphatically saying that, no, the FBI will not be interfering in elections. 
Uh, lamentably, we've seen this happen in the past. Listen to this. So as a result of the actions of James Comey, the disgraced James Comey and the FBI, they've interfered with the elections in both 2016 and 2020. Will that interference happen again in 2024 by the FBI? The FBI is not going to be interfering in elections. They did in 2016. Well, I, I don't know that that's what Mr. Durham found. What I would tell you again is that it was conduct that I consider unacceptable and unrepresentative. You can be in denial if you want to. I'm not in uh, denial, Dr. sir. You can be in denial on this. That's exactly what happened. Yet I remember that happening, right? <laughs> I don't know about you guys. I, to- I totally remember that happening. And it didn't uh, end there. I mean, there was lots of conversation. All the Everybody you know, was there um, at the oversight hearing today. Uh, taken a, a swing at at Director Ray, and rightfully so. All right? A lot of things have happened on his watch, and I think a lot of people have questions. Now, Florida Representative Matt Gates uh, turns to Director Ray, asking him um, regarding Hunter Biden and text messages, asking, "Listen, are you protecting the Biden crime family?" Listen to this. I'm sitting here with my father. I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge, that you will regret not following my direction. I am sitting here waiting for the call with my father. Sounds like a shakedown, doesn't it, Director? I'm not going to get into commenting on that. You, you, you seem deeply uncurious about it, don't you? Almost suspiciously uncurious. Are you protecting the Bidens? Absolutely not. The FBI well, does not and has qu- no well, interest on. in You won't answer the question about whether or not that's a shakedown, and everybody knows why you won't answer it. Because to, ev- to the millions of people who will see this, they know it is. And your inability to acknowledge that is deeply revealing about you. Matt Gates nailing it like he usually does. Uh, absolutely. The director of the FBI, Christopher Ray. this is his M.O. And again, I think, you know, so many of us have become accustomed to to hearing, oh, I'm, I'm not at liberty to discuss that. I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to do that. Well, without revealing our sources and methods, we're not able to do that. Well, right now, uh, we, we can't comment on ongoing investigations. And, and you know, I'd say, I don't know, maybe half the people, maybe even 75% of people hear that and go, well, you know, listen, he's the FBI director. I mean, it's a big deal. This guy can't tell you everything. And that's just that. He has security clearance. It's, it's, it's above our pay grade. Right. Everybody just, you know, accepts that. And then there's people that are like, I don't give a damn. I don't have any clearance. I don't care about your pay grades. I don't care about anything. I want to know what's going on. And I think then there's other people that are in the middle, which is more like me. I'm just like, you know, let's we could strive for the truth. Let's just strive for the truth and, and try not to get caught in your lies. And and lamentably, that, that seems to be what's going on here, where people are just getting caught out there. And it, it's really just an expose on how messed up things are, right? On how badly things are going. Now, I want to get uh, into a clip uh, from Representative Jim Jordan, but it probably would be a little bit uh, too long and push us beyond uh, the time frame before we have to take our pause. So what I'm going to do instead, I want to I stay on this theme of lies within the FBI because I think it's important that we focus on truth, right? It's... it's um, I guess it's not in vogue, it's not in style, but it's still equally as important as it ever was, right? We have to stand up for what is right. We have to believe in the truth. And I hate to sound like I'm, you know, preaching virtue here, but it's just interesting. Uh, Recently, I was um, perusing through some of the writings of uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, 
And in his book, uh, The Gulag Archipelago, there's a quote, and I'm going to read it to you, and I think it, it fits here so well. Listen to this. <clears throat> Gradually, it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. This line shifts. It's inside us. It oscillates with the years. And even within the hearts overwhelmed by evil, one small bridgehead of good is retained. And even in the best of all hearts, there remains an uprooted small corner of evil. Excuse me, ununprooted small corner of evil. Since then, I've come to understand the truth of all the religions of the world. They struggle with the evil inside a human being, inside every human being. It's impossible to expel evil from the world in its entirety, but it is possible to constrict it within each person. And I think that is the goal that so many of us, at least listeners to this program, people that I deal with on a regular basis, that's the world we live in where we strive for the truth, where we strive to do what's right. We don't go out of our way to lie. And we, we just have an expectation that others are going to treat us the way we'd like to be treated. The golden rule. And lamentably, that's not the case in society anymore, in many neighborhoods, and uh, definitely not in Washington, D.C. And those hearings today um, are just so illustrative of the problem that we have. The solution, I leave that to all of us and to, to figure out how we go about it, kind of like what Solzhenitsyn was just pointing at. It's a condition of the heart within each person. Anyway, getting off my soapbox, we're going to come back with uh, former Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. By the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations, somebody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, <laughs> even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing. Are people listening, right? That's but right. But you're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I want to continue our discussion on the Christopher Ray hearing today. Uh, because, again, lots of questions were asked. Lots of things were discussed. And... Let's see. We are. I wanted to pick up. I said I had this, and I wanted to get to it before the break, and we'll do it before we bring in the guests. So let's do this um, Jim Jordan exchange with Christopher Ray. Of course, Jim Jordan, uh, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, congressman from Ohio, um, and really opening the door here for a very important conversation where earlier this year we learned that the FBI had sources and undercover agents embedded inside of Catholic churches trying to root out violent domestic extremists or what they were calling um, rad-trad Catholics, radical traditionalist Catholics. I find this remarkable. Never heard of such a thing, but I guess it's once you create the term, a rad-trad, then it's like, oh, what kind of Catholic are you? 
Oh, I'm a rad trad. Oh, I'm just a regular one. Yeah, you know, now there's all these types that, again, I had no idea this existed. Uh, and I'm not Catholic per se. I grew up Catholic, uh, but kind of um, got married in a Pentecostal church and stayed in the evangelical realm since then. But um, lover of Jesus nonetheless. And I, I think it's it's a very dangerous place to go when you try to radicalize traditional Catholics by saying that traditional Catholics are radical or what they call radical traditional Catholics. Because uh, they'll, they'll do that uh, as they have with other religions. And I think there's nowhere for it to stop. Now, if somebody's thinking, well, when they did it to the Muslims, you didn't complain, Rich. Well, yeah, I didn't complain because those people were blowing things up. What are the Catholics blowing up? Right, well, what makes them radical and traditional? What is the difference between them? Well, Jim Jordan points that out. Listen to this. What's the difference between a traditional Catholic and a radical traditional Catholic? Uh, I'm not a, an expert on the, the Catholic uh, orders. Well, your FBI wrote a memo talking about radical traditional Catholics. I'm just wondering if you can define it for us. Well, what I can tell you is you're referring to the Richmond product, which was a single product by a single field office, which as soon as I found out about it, I was aghast and ordered it withdrawn and removed from FBI systems. You were aghast. Then why won't you let us talk to the people who put it together? We are working on finishing an internal review into what happened We have there. to wait. The, we, the Congress, and the American people have to wait until you do an internal review. It's not a criminal investigation going on here. An internal review before we can talk to the people who wrote this? We, when we finish our internal review, which will be very soon, we will come, come back idea before how the committee Catholics in America? and provide a briefing on what we found. Well, we appreciate and the we briefing, can, but we want to talk to the people who wrote it. Any idea how can, many Catholics there are in America, Director? Uh, no, sir. There's a lot, over 60 million. What percentage of those are radical traditional Catholics according to the Richmond field office of the FBI? Again, that product is not something that I will defend or excuse. It's something that I thought was appalling read, and removed it. Let's read from that product, page four of that product. By the way, the copy you gave us, when can we get a copy that didn't have all these redactions on it? So we can actually see what the American taxpayers were paying for to see their rights, their First Amendment religious liberty rights attacked. Let me just read from page four. Provide new opportunities to mitigate extremist threat through outreach to traditional Catholic parishes and the development of sources with the placement and access to report on places of worship. That's pretty fancy language for they're trying to put informants in the parish, in the church. That's what this memorandum said, Director, from one of your field offices. And you won't let us talk to the people who did it. Any response to that? I didn't know. I was waiting for the question. No, priest, do you think priests priest should be informants inside the church, Director? We do not recruit, open, or operate confidential human sources to infiltrate, target, report. But that's not, uh, what, this, that's not what this said. It sounds like you were trying to do it in no, Richmond, Virginia. No, sir. No, sir. No, you sir. weren't? This, this didn't happen? You can assure us that this that, didn't happen? That product did not, to as best as we can tell, result in any investigative action as a result of it. None. That's the conversation that I wanted you to hear. Again, this is astounding to me. Really is. And again, I, I'm not one that capitalizes on, on the sale of, of my own righteous indignation, right? I, I'm really a kind of mellow guy when it comes to these things. My friends, my family, they're, you know, literally smoke coming out of their ears. They're turning red. My brothers, they freak out about this stuff. Um, and, and they love some of the more outrageous um, 
commentators out there that um, that you can like only find on the internet on these obscure channels, and 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 they're always um, uh, telling me you got to be more like that guy, Richie. You got to be like that guy. Have some passion. Uh, but anyway, the um, the bottom line here is uh, I, I don't take that stuff very good, but I find this to be absolute insanity that you have the FBI director here on the hot seat, uh, really sweating under the collar uh, in this exchange with uh, Representative Jordan, where he seems unable to really delineate what what the FBI considered to be a radical traditionalist Catholic versus any other kind of Catholic. And if you can't make that distinction at the highest level, i.e. the FBI director, then how is anybody else expected to make that difference? And are we led to believe that we do, in fact, have the um, FBI spying on everyone and anyone they feel like within the Catholic Church? Now, this, I think, is the, the most, one of the most egregious things that we, we've seen come out of this. So I'm glad that happened. But there's plenty more to discuss, right? There's also the discussion with Ray Epps. Uh, there's also uh, some immigration issues that I wanted to discuss um, regarding these buoys and whatnot uh, and, and the legality around them. So there's plenty uh, to discuss. We're going to connect with our guest momentarily, Mark Burnovich, former uh, attorney general in Arizona. And and before we do, I just want to give you the phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDES. Now, with about a minute to go, before we take the pause and get into uh, the conversation on the guest with the guest excuse me i want to play you this clip of audio um number eight where director ray discusses ray epps listen to this so as a result of the actions of james comey the disgraced james comey and the fbi they've interfered with the elections in both 2016 and 2020 will that interference happen again in 2024 by the fbi the FBI is not going to be interfering in elections. They did in 2016. Well, I, I don't know that that's what Mr. Durham found. What I would tell you again is that it was conduct that I consider unacceptable and unrepresentative. You can be in denial if you want to. I'm not in uh, denial, Dr- You can be in denial on this. That's exactly what happened. Okay, so there's a, a question of denial on whether there was interference by the FBI. There's a question of uh, what's going on with Ray Epps. Who is Ray Epps? Right there, there's all been all this discussion with Ray Epps. There's a lot to discuss, and we're going to get into that momentarily. I don't want you to go anywhere because uh, Mark Brnovich is scheduled to be with us uh, on the other side of this break. Again, the phone number, 833-482-5337-833, the number four, my last name, Valdez, and, of course, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Kick back, relax, enjoy the show. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez, and we're coming right back. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Listen. 
America at Night with Rich Valdez. There have been, I think Tucker Carlson and some of the members' colleagues on the other side of the aisle have said that Ray Epps was a secret government agent in helping uh, encourage uh, this, this crime so as to make the president look bad. Uh, do you have any knowledge of Ray Epps being a secret government agent? Uh, no. Uh, I will say this notion that somehow the violence at the Capitol on January 6th was part of some operation orchestrated by FBI sources and agents uh, is ludicrous and is a disservice to our brave, hardworking, dedicated men and women. All right. So there you have um, Christopher Ray at the House Oversight hearing saying he doesn't know anything. Ray Epps is not a government agent. J6 wasn't orchestrated by the FBI. Uh, yada, yada, yada. We've heard him say a lot of things. And uh, again, um, I specialize in talking smack about politicians on, on Capitol Hill. But somebody who specializes in taking people to court and being the chief law enforcement officer of the state of Arizona, former attorney General Mark Burnovich is with us. General, welcome, sir. Thank you, Rich, for having me on. And I apologize for the delay. I will be honest with you. It was the weirdest thing. I was trying to call in and my phone died. And I tell people all the time, ever since I successfully sued Google and took on big tech, my electronic devices never work, especially when I'm talking to fellow conservatives. You, you know, I, I would I would totally agree with you there. Uh, it happens to us quite often. Anytime I do a segment on China and I get a little rough around the edges with them, uh, yeah. Things just stop working, and people are like, uh, "You went off the air in 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 Michigan. You went off the air." I'm like, "Oh, geez." So it doesn't surprise me. Uh, our friends in the deep state are always up to no good. Uh, but General, good to have you back. I appreciate it. Uh, I want to jump into a, a number of things. We have some time. We still have a couple of segments to go. So let's take our time and work through this. Um, in, in what you've heard thus far of the testimony from uh, director ray do you think it's it's becoming of somebody who should be running the fbi no but i think it's consistent with what a lot of people are concerned about that the fbi has become more worried about parents at local school board meetings than they are about protecting america from the drug cartels and quite frankly, as someone, I actually worked at the Department of Justice at one point in my career. I, I was very disappointed because there was times where there was just straight on questions that could be asked and answered that he refused to answer. And one of the things that I know that you have discussed, you know, some of the questioning by uh, Congressman Jordan related sure. to the FBI infiltrating, you know, uh, religious organizations, but my goodness, I mean, the fact that they were dealing with banks and forcing banks to disclose information on people not under investigation, including six months worth of firearms transaction, is really chilling. So we now have an FBI that's engaged in suppressing the First Amendment speech, colluding with big tech. And now we know that they want to violate people's Second Amendment rights as well. This is a really big thing. And, and, and I, I'm glad you, you, you mentioned it the way you did, because you, you said it was chilling, and, and it is. But I think I never thought, honestly, and this is my own naivete uh, at 45 years old, I didn't think, I don't know, when I was 25, that I would ever live in an America where something like that would happen and it become public knowledge and people would not uh, go bat crap crazy and like break things. Right. But yet it seems like things like this happen quite often and and people are becoming kind of used to it. 
That, Rich, is the part that was shocking to me. As I was watching the testimony today, I thought to myself, where's the left? Where's the ACLU? Where are all these people that are concerned about the overreach of law enforcement? You know, they're concerned about, you know, no-knock warrants and, you know, stop and frisk that's deterring mm-hmm. crime in New York. Where are all those people? Because they're willing to undermine street-level law enforcement, and yet they're willing to allow a federal agency with more power than anyone else in this country to essentially become a Praetorian Guard. And one of the things that, you know, when, when Rome, during the fall of Rome, you had this Praetorian Guard that looked at themselves, you know, they, they were part of the legion, and they looked at themselves as the keeper of all things good and all things Roman, and they became very corrupt and very, very powerful. And I worry now, you know, as someone especially that's family, I'm a, as you know, Rich, I'm a first-generation American. My family fled right. communism. And when I see this centralization of authority and this unchecked authority where you have a law enforcement agency basically dictating to the private sector what they should do, which is really insidious and dangerous, but also this ability to spy on people that are running for president or the president of the United States, but then you combine that with the notion that they're unwilling to answer questions to Congress, which has this oversight authority. I mean, this is dangerous. I just keep thinking, where's the ACLU? Where's all my friends on the left saying, wait a minute, um, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and we are seeing this concentration now. And they may like it now because they're going after Republicans, but one day that, that will eventually be turned against all Americans, whether they're Democrats or Republicans. This is the part where I feel like, um, you know, the people that I, I uh, you know, cross paths with and I, I say things like what you're saying. And then they turn to me, oh, come on, you're, you're going too far just because they're trying to find out who's got a gun and what kind of guns they're buying and whatnot. It doesn't mean that they're going to go and try and take your gun. And I'm thinking, what else could it possibly mean? <laughs> Why on earth would you want to know if I just have a gun? Right. I mean, it, you know, already there's FBI checks for that stuff. So clearly. It's beyond this. And and there's there's some sort of marriage between the financial and and the other. And we've seen in the past certain uh, banks saying uh, that they didn't want to uh, accept purchases uh, or do any business with gun manufacturers. So, I mean, it's a very interesting. I mean, to me, it goes beyond woke. It's exactly what you're talking about, exactly what your parents fled, that the these communist ideas that to me um, were once considered red scare. And now it's more like, you know, real life scare. Uh, am, am I making too much of this or, or are you in the same world here? No, this is. And really, I don't want to sound like, you know, um, I try to be very logical on this, and I don't want to sound like I'm being paranoid. But what we're seeing is systematically in America, and this is a lot of things I used to talk about when I was AG. So you look at the 1619 Project that's trying to undermine American values and undermine the very basis, the rule of law, which this country is founded, and, you know, start this grievance culture. And then now you look at what's going on with the ESG movement, which I took on Mm -hmm. when I was AG, which is all about basically, you know, forcing corporate America to go along with this neo-Marxist ideology. And now, and this is the real danger, is that when you have these government agencies, these government bureaucracies that are unaccountable, that are unchecked, that think they don't even have to answer members of Congress's questions, this is when it becomes very, very dangerous. And that's why, for example, even during today's testimony, when you had the FBI director kind of deflecting and not even discussing what they did with 
uh, big tech and corporate America suppressing information, violating the First Amendment. I mean, come on, let's all be real. When you have an agency of the power of like the Department of Justice that can literally take away your life, liberty, property, of course you're going to get corporate America complying. And to me, that is much more dangerous in a lot of ways than what we saw in the former Soviet Union. Because I will tell you what, as someone whose family lived through communism, when the government used to say and do things, people didn't like it, but they knew that the government was full of crap. But now when you have the, the patina of the private sector or private companies saying, oh, this is this or that's that, um, when they're being forced to do so by the government, in many ways that is much, much more dangerous. And so clearly the current Department of Justice looks at themselves as some sort of Praetorian guard where they're going to make the rules, they're going to you know, pick and choose who's going to be prosecuted, who's not going to be prosecuted, what's going to become a priority. It's dangerous on so many levels, especially to the very, very, very idea about American exceptionalism and the rule of law. And so one of the things that I consistently talk about that I don't think enough conservatives talk about is we need to get rid of uh, merit protection or civil service protection for this government bureaucrats. There is a permanent bureaucratic class in the State Department, in the Department of Defense, and yes, at the Department of Justice, that can't be fired, can't be removed, and what they are doing is perpetuating a hard-left ideology. Hmm. Yeah, and I think that's really well put. Uh, folks, we're on with uh, former Arizona State Attorney General Mark Burnovich, and uh, straight ahead, we're going to continue our conversation. Uh, I want to uh, get your reaction to a a lawsuit or a letter rather that was sent to target from uh, seven of your former colleagues, uh, state attorney generals, attorneys general, excuse me, that are saying that some of their pride merchandise might violate certain child protection laws in their states. I thought that was an interesting angle and one I'd like to learn more about. So folks stick around. We're coming back with Mark Bernovich, our phone number 833-482-5337, 8334 Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America. This is Night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez is uh, me. Mark Bernovich is our guest. And uh, we're discussing this uh, letter that was sent by seven Republican attorneys general uh, to the Target Corporation, to their CEO, Brian Cornell, voicing their concern, right? And the concern is that the company's pride collection was potentially harmful to minors and economically detrimental to the group's respective states, uh, or at least their state's interests as target shareholders due to subsequent boycotts, according to a report on Thursday from Fox News. And it goes on, and there's a few quotes from the article, but um, Mark Brnovich, I'm curious to know, uh, this is an angle I don't think I've seen in the past, uh, of saying your your merchandise is is harmful. Um, what what? How do you weigh in on this? Well, I think today's kids face enough indoctrination at their public schools. 
so they surely don't need to be getting it at their local target. And I don't think this is unprecedented. Let's put this in context, Rich. Is um, what, for example, I, I sued Google, Google successfully because they were marketing vaping products or to kids, and you know they we wanted to make sure that wasn't happening. Yeah. You remember maybe the lawsuits against Big Tobacco with Joe Camel, where they were marketing sure. things towards kids. You know, historically we recognize whether it's issues like state lotteries and gambling or you know tobacco that. Kids, especially people that are under 18, are vulnerable, they're impressionable, and we as a society have an obligation to protect them. And so I look at this letter as basically an attempt by the chief legal officers of their states who are charged with enforcing you know, child protection laws and protecting the most vulnerable in their society, basically telling Target that, hey, you have to watch what you're doing. And one of the other things in that letter that I thought was really important is they called out Target for being so woke and especially the millions of dollars that are going to GLSEN, an organization that basically uh, pays or gives financial resources for activists to undermine parental rights and parental notification. So, you know, they were basically sending a shot across Target's bow saying, look, we need to protect our kids and we, we don't need the nanny state. I think everyone recognizes that. But when you're doing something that targets kids, that's when the state has a role to come in and say, no, wait a minute, whether it's tobacco, whether it's gambling, whether it's uh, you know, trying to alienate parents' rights, the state has an obligation to step in and say, as a corporation, you shouldn't be doing that. And especially, especially, you know, I know that this is all about being woke. This is all about woke culture running, you know, uh, amok. And the far left is so bad that you now have boardrooms in corporate America that are filled with people that are more afraid of the cancel culture than they are uh, serving their consumers. Yeah, and and I'm I'm glad that they did it because I think so often we we find ourselves uh, stuck. And I say we, I'm talking about parents, regular people, right? People that that are, are are not in public life that wake up and 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 they're like, hey, I'm at Target today, and there is a tuck friendly one piece bathing suit in the girls section. Obviously, it's designed for girls with a penis. And, and how do I have this conversation? And should I be having this conversation? And did I want to have this conversation with my, you know, I don't know, 5, 10, or 12-year-old that's in tow when I'm at Target? And, and I think, and it, not just those uncomfortable moments, but moreover, everything overall, the, the, the entire um, just idea that, that we're, we're not it anymore, right? Parents aren't the ones that are deciding how they're going to have a conversation on any number of things that society's now having that conversation for them. And, and and it makes us feel like, well, we're wrong if we come out against this and say, I don't think this is the right thing. I don't want you to, you know, I, I don't advise that you do this. Your kid may turn to you and say, well, I, my teacher says if you say that, then you're a bigot. And, and you know, it's just, it, it's just bizarre to me how far we've come or how far away we've gone from what was once considered normal. And, the, the key to this, and not to keep harping on this, but you go back to the Communist Manifesto, and you look at the things that Marx wrote about. You know, it wasn't just about eliminating proper mm -hmm. private property and progressive income taxes. You know, one of the big issues that he talked about is eliminating the family, eliminating religion. And so all of this that's going on right now is just really classic 
Marxism, or I would call it neo-Marxism, and we are seeing this embodied, not only with Target and a lot of these corporations, it's because companies now are so worried about their ESG score, where they're rewarded or punished based on their commitment to causes favored by elites. And so, you know, the ESG movement's all about the environmental, social governance movement, and basically globalists are now using that to pressure American companies into adopting far-left progressive practices, which essentially have their roots in the Communist Manifesto. Really well put. General, uh, I know you're scheduled to be with us till now, but if you can hang on just a a minute or two more, I want to get a quick take from you on this buoy situation to help stem illegal immigration in Texas. So folks are coming right back. Attorney Mark Brnovich, don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Our guest, uh, former Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich. And uh, General, the uh, governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, he's facing a lawsuit over the use of buoys in the Rio Grande River to help um, mitigate border crossings that are not legal. And uh, I'm just wondering what your take is on that. Does he have the authority to put the buoys in? Um, does he not? What are the uh, outcomes here? The short answer is yes. We actually, when I was attorney general, we issued an opinion that a state has a constitutional ability to defend its supporters when invaded by non-state hostile actors, such as the armed cartels and the drug gangs that have essentially seized control of our border. So I would urge people to go pick up their constitution and look at the state self-defense clause in Article 1, Section 10, or the invasion clause in Article 4, Section 4. So the state definitely has the ability to do that. And then the question becomes, well, should they be doing it and why are they doing it? And the bottom line is, is that America is not... not only being overrun by the leftists in the Biden administration, but it has become overrun by the cartels who are being supplied precursor chemicals by communist China. And every day in this country, Rich, every five minutes, every five minutes on average, someone is dying of a drug overdose. We are losing an entire generation of people and not only human lives, but in fiscal treasure as well. So beyond the legal analysis, we all know, we all know at some personal level, at our very cores, that is what is happening at our southern border is immoral, unlawful, and it does constitute an invasion. And that's why I'm glad Governor Abbott did something. Yeah, me too. All right, so let's um, let everybody know, uh, Mark Brnovich, how they can uh, follow you, keep up to speed with everything that you're working on. Let them know. I'm at General Brnovich on Twitter, and so, uh, you know, I've been fighting the good fight. I'm going to continue to do so because we got to do everything we can, every day we can, to protect our individual liberties and push back against the neo-Marxist agenda that's, quite frankly, assaulting us on many fronts right now. Outstanding. Well done. Uh, always appreciate the conversation. We have to have to do it again soon. Folks, Mark Brnovich, former uh, Arizona Attorney General, thank you, sir. Thanks. Thanks, Yes, sir. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead, including uh, some of your calls. I know there's a a few folks on on hold. 
Uh, we just ran out of time, but we will get to you. Plus, we're going to have a conversation on, let's see, where did that go? Oh, yes. We've got drugs that are going to be costing more money because of Bernie Sanders. You don't want to miss this. Don't go anywhere. that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, happy to be here with you straight till 1 a.m. Eastern time. And our phone number, if you want to join this late-night national town hall conversation, feel free, pull up a chair, kick up your feet, relax, and join us. 833-482-5337 is the phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. And... uh, Last hour, we talked about some of the FBI lies. Christopher Ray's getting grilled on Capitol Hill for all of the uh, mistruths and half-truths that he's been telling. Uh, Biden's made some flops in his uh, speech in Lithuania. And there's other things going on Capitol Hill uh, in the last uh, week or so that we haven't really talked about. And one of them is what's going on with the health care agenda. Right now, there's always a back and forth. Obviously, the special interests are always doing what they do. However, it's interesting to note that while we have so many different doctors that join us on this program and people talk about all these different health issues, ailments and and remedies, one of the things that I think um, we're not talking about is how the cost of drugs is prohibitive. Now, listen, I think everybody has to make their money back from their research, development, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but when you have a certain um, special interests making it a, a point to make healthcare unaffordable, then I think it, it, it's something we should look at. And if that's not the case, then then let it not be the case. But we want to make sure that it isn't, right? We want to make sure that things are as affordable as they can be and that we're as transparent as we can be. And uh, somebody that, that's on the forefront of that, that has her finger on the pulse, is Anne-Marie Burkle. Uh, not only is she a former United States congresswoman uh, and former chairwoman of the uh, Consumer Product Safety Commission uh, at the federal level, um, but she's also our guest tonight and a former nurse. Anne-Marie Burkle, welcome. Thank you, Rich, very much. It's so nice to be here. Likewise. Thank you for joining us. And I I was um, perusing your op-ed recently in the Tennessee Star on this topic, and I figured, you know, let's let's talk about it because I think this is something that our audience could really benefit from hearing. Uh, because again, um, this is healthcare is something that affects everybody, right? Whether you're young or old or in between, uh, married, single, it doesn't matter. Everybody's dealing with healthcare at. at, at some level in some capacity, one way or another. 
Absolutely. And not only is everyone um, dealing with health care on some level, but they're also dealing with inflation at the same time. And so they mm-hmm. some some unfortunate people have had to make choices between do I can I afford this drug or can I seek this care or should I put food on the table for my kids? And so the American people and in recent surveys showed 90 percent of the American people, 90 percent, which is quite a number, um, if really are looking for someone to lower their health care costs and their drug costs, and they would support a person or a party that would do that. And so I look at the Republican Party, and the last time they took a adamant stand on health care was back in 2010 in the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. And at that mm-hmm. time, they won 65 seats in the House, and they took back the majority after many years. And so I look at the Republican Party today, and it concerns me because they are not going on the offense with this issue. And it's something, as I say, most Americans are concerned about. Uh, 39% said they would switch, they would cross party lines to vote for someone who would help to lower health care costs. So it's on their minds, and the Republicans have a great opportunity and so far, they haven't taken advantage of that opportunity. Yeah, well, that's lamentable. But let's get to the meat and potatoes of it, because um, it, it seems that th- there's a little bit of a um, of a tug of war going on in the Senate. Uh, both Chuck Schumer and uh, Bernie Sanders are involved. Uh, give us the lay of the land. So, uh, as your listeners know, the Democrats control the Senate. Therefore... The Democrats are chairman of the committee. And currently, Bernie Sanders, the self-avowed socialist from Vermont, runs and is in charge of, he's chairman of, the health committee in the Senate. So he is the one that brings up legislation in that committee, and then Chuck Schumer brings it to the Senate floor uh, for a vote by all the senators. So you just have to peruse any piece of Bernie Sanders legislation or just listen to him. He has in mind that we get to a single payer system. That's he's always he's been upfront about that. But currently he knows he can't just do it in one cell swoop. He has to do it incrementally and gradually. And so that is what we're seeing right now in the health committee in the Senate. He's got a several pieces of legislation and eventually Senator Schumer will conglomerate those into one bill, one health care uh, bill, and then they'll bring it to the Senate floor for a vote. And we can talk about what are in those various bills and the concerns I have with regards to what they're going to do to the cost of drugs and the cost of health care. All right. And we'll do that uh, straight ahead. I just want to remind everybody who we're on with Anne-Marie Burkle, former nurse, former congresswoman, and former chairwoman of the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission, and uh, we're discussing the a bill that would raise the cost of certain drugs that uh, I think the timing on this is really bad. I don't think we should ever uh, raise uh, the cost of drugs by legislation or even if it's a byproduct of legislation. Uh, that, that shouldn't be the case. Anytime the government's involved in making me spend more money, it's a bad thing. Uh, so we're going to continue that conversation to find out what drugs are impacting uh, or going to be impacted here, as well as uh, the the nuts and bolts of the bill. 
with Anne-Marie Burkle. And that's coming up, plus your calls, 833-4825-337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. You're diagnosed with cancer and you expect your insurance company to pay for it. But they dig into your medical records, discover you had asthma as a kid, claim you had a heart attack as a pre existing condition, and they refuse to pay. Folks, that's not health insurance. That's a scam. That's a scam. It has to end. All right, that's President Biden recently uh, talking about a scam that needs to end. Uh, but the reality is this is a bill that he'll likely sign, right? And and the whole thing seems like a gift to Big Pharma. Now, Big Pharma, it, you know, uh, I'm in the New York area. And if you guys remember the show, The Sopranos, uh, our producer was just pointing this out. Big Pharma sounds like a, like, like a gangster from The Sopranos, right? That's Tony. That's Big Pharma. And, and, and in real life, Big Pharma is like a gangster. And this is what we're, we're seeing happen here, where people are imposing um, price controls, uh, out-of-pocket caps that sound good, but are more like a poison pill. I want to bring our guest back in to weigh in on this stuff because uh, she knows what she's talking about. Former nurse, former congresswoman, and uh, former chair of the United States Product Safety Commission, Anne-Marie Burkle. Welcome back. Thanks so much, Rich. And again, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, likewise. It's a pleasure to speak with you. So we're we're continuing um, our conversation on what gets impacted here on this bill. And and I think a lot of people hear, you know, price caps and they think this is a good thing, uh, not realizing that it could affect things in other places. Uh, What's your thought on that? So, yes, you're absolutely right. In one of the pieces of legislation that uh, Bernie Sanders wants to bring to the Senate floor, it's an out-of-pocket insulin price cap. Now, that sounds good. It makes you think that, oh, good, uh, we're going to pay less for the the, uh, insulin. Now, what that really means is when you go to your pharmacist and you pick up your insulin, they can only charge you a certain amount of money. You're talking about $35. But in reality, there's nothing in that legislation that prevents pharma on the other end from raising the price of insulin as high as they want it. There's nothing that limits it there. And so what happens is a healthcare plan has to pay for that increased cost of, of insulin. And so your healthcare premium goes up and it gets taken out of your paycheck. And so, yes, you may be paying less at the pharmacy, but you're paying more out of your paycheck for your healthcare coverage. So it does nothing to do reduce the cost of healthcare and the cost of insulin, it really just is a red herring. Um, You know, and the the problem with that, Rich, is that once you include one or two drugs, you can imagine what's going to happen with everyone wanting their drug to have an out-of-pocket price cap. 
the, the right. Who would? <laughs> right. It makes course. sense. Everybody. Hey, cap mine, cap mine. I'm going to double the price. And so you could you can imagine this Palapalooza uh, down in Washington and, and the lobbyists just going after uh, trying to get their drug on that uh, out of pocket cap list. The, the Republicans have to get serious about having free market solutions. And so in that case, and and um, Senator Lee has introduced legislation. Biosimilars are a terrific alternative to name brand drugs. Uh, a drug that is the composition is the same and it has the same effect, but it's not the brand name that that is like generally generic? so very expensive. Like like a generic, but they're in bi- their biosimilars, and so. Senator Lee has introduced legislation that would reduce the red tape that would allow the FDA to approve more biosimilar drugs. That's how you get to this the root of the problem. It isn't just by this smoke and mirrors and this phony price cap, when on the other end, pharma can continue to raise the price of insulin. And so competition in the marketplace, other biosimilars that are, that are effective, that's what's going to keep pharma from raising those insulin prices because they're going to have competition. So you've got senators who are paying attention. Um, he is Senator Lee has taken a lead with this uh, FDA and reforming <clears throat> the uh, ability to approve these biosimilar drugs. Senator Rand Paul, uh, again, a name very familiar to your listeners, a physician who was on the forefront of all the COVID nonsense um, and who really understood what was happening he now has stood up. Another piece of legislation they're trying to get through is an anti-PBM. They're calling it a PBM reform. And I'll, for your listeners, because many people haven't heard about a PBM or a pharmacy benefit manager. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is this entity negotiates the price of the drugs for your healthcare plan with pharma. So pharma hates PBMs. And so they're pushing hard and they're pushing Bernie Sanders hard to introduce legislation that will weaken their ability to negotiate the cost of drugs with big pharma for uh, health care plans. And roughly a PBM saves $1,000 per person annually when it comes to drug costs. That's significant. And so eliminating the PBMs is really a gift to big pharma. Now, we've got Rand Paul, who understands that, and he's taken a stand. He is uh, not anti-PBM, but Senator Sanders is trying to get this PBM Reform Act passed, and that would significantly alter the ability of the PBM to negotiate a lower uh, drug price. So, you know, for all your listeners, if you want to get involved, you want to take a stand on this, you can call your senator's office and tell him no, vote no on that PBM Reform Act. It is not going to reduce the cost of drugs. It's going to increase the cost of drug prices. Yeah, and, and this is interesting. And one of the things you point out in your piece, and I think is is um, uh, worthy of note, is that the Affordable Care Act didn't make health care or health insurance more affordable. And similarly, this, which aims to make it look like drugs will become more affordable, it won't. Um, It'll just, like you said, it'll create a free-for-all with everybody looking to raise the cost of their drugs because they can now have a cap put in place, <laughs> which uh, would, um, would would create a lot of problems. And, be, and I just know this from my, my own um, d- medication and whatever. Uh, there was a medication that the doctor gave me, and I, I took it 
uh, for like a month. And then my insurance said, no, we're not covering that anymore. You can take another one, but it can't be that one. Uh, and, and I just thought, how interesting. And the, the um, out-of-pocket cost to me was uh, four or $500, something like that. And I was like, I don't have to take this for that long, so I'm not going to do it. I'll go with the other one. And I went with the other one, which, you know, after a couple of days, they approved, but in, in, included within my plan. And, and I'm just thinking, that's just me and taking something uh, on a short term. Just imagine people who take drugs for chronic illness. Uh, th- this could be life-changing for them. Absolutely. And, and you're talking about a very complex system. You've got, th- there's rules and regulations, so complex. But you said it at the beginning um, of, of the show, and that is when the government steps in and gets involved, it increases the cost and it decreases the effectiveness mm-hmm. of whatever the program is or whatever you're, you're regulating. That's just how it works. And unfortunately, that's what will happen if either one of these pieces of legislation get passed, because this is putting the government in the equation, once again, just like with the Affordable Care Act, and it takes the patient out of the, out of the center of, of the discussion, and that should never be. And that's why I get frustrated with the Republican Party and with the leaders, because you could, you could, there's things you can do. You can modernize the FDA, push these biosimilars and, and competition in the marketplace. You know, one of the, one of the things they could do, and, and do it, everyone has, can relate to this, the hospital that I trained in as a nurse used to be St. Joseph's Hospital, 400 beds, accountable to the community. Well, over the years, it's gotten gobbled up by a large healthcare system. They're now based in Michigan, and there's 88 hospitals in the system. And so these, these mergers of the hospitals is another reason why we're seeing drug prices, or not drug prices, but healthcare costs in general and drug prices driven up. Because what hospitals are doing now is, if I, if I go into the hospital and I have a procedure done, they should bill the insurance company at the hospital rate. If I go see my physician, they should bill my health care insurance with a physician rate and the physician code. Well, right. the hospitals now, because, because now the doctors work for the hospital, everything gets, and what they're doing is they're billing and submitting charges as if you were seen in the hospital as opposed to being seen by a doctor. That is driving up the cost of healthcare beyond wow. words. And, and right, because all the hospitals have purchased all of the local practices exactly and now the right. doctors all work for the hospital. Wow. Exactly right. And so it's and that, referred to as dishonest billing. You've got some people on the House, uh, Senate, uh, Congressman Hearn and yeah. Senate, Senator Braun, who want to go after this dishonest billing practice and hold these healthcare systems accountable. Anne-Marie Burkle, we'll leave it there. We could do this all night. Uh, former Congresswoman and Chair of the Consumer Product Safety Commission, thank you for being with us. I really appreciate it. Got to have you back to do this again. I would love to come back, and thanks so much again. Have a great evening. You too. God bless. All right, folks, we're coming right back. We're going to discuss human trafficking and the media smears on Anybody who wants to talk about it, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hi, 
I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. Our phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. At the top of the next hour, open phone America, where you get to call in on any topic you'd like. And, of course, before the end of the program, we'll be taking your calls on this topic. And uh, there's a piece I'm looking at on Breitbart.com. Most major film critics are boycotting um, a new film that's out called The Sound of Freedom, Despite the massive box office success, I think they just hit $40 million this weekend. Uh, No reviews from the New York Times or the L.A. Times. And, of course, this doesn't come as a surprise to me. Uh, It's, you know, it's one of those things that's disappointing, but not uh, a surprise. And in addition to not reviewing the film, you've got a lot in the media that are now taking um, shots at the film saying that it's driven by bigotry and fear. And I think on Monday night, the, the, the leading story was that anything related to this film, any, any coverage that it got from the mainstream was saying that it was, um, QAnon, um, conspiracies come to life on the silver screen. It, it's really been uh, terrible. And I think what's, what's really terrible about all of this is the film, the, the central focus of it is to show how under, underrepresented this topic is in the media and how uh, under-addressed it is in in law enforcement today. It's, it's a huge problem that, that deserves a lot more attention. And, of course, we're talking about the trafficking of human beings for sex slavery and, 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 and the like. And it's just horrible. And somebody who's familiar with this topic is Jakob Buyens. He's a founder and CEO of After Eden Pictures, and uh, the head of uh, Jacobuyan's ministry, and he's an anti-sex trafficking advocate. Uh, Jaco, welcome. Thank you for putting voice to this very important matter. Thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm happy to do it. Now, let's talk about this, because again, like I said, I know you have uh, some extensive understanding of this, and and uh, I'm curious to know your reaction and if, if you've gone through similar uh, when discussing this, trying to shed light on this, do you find uh, the media trying to just kind of ignore you as well, or, or even worse, um, ridicule you or anyone else that's talking about this? Yeah, look, um, Tim Ballard is a close friend. And when, when they had the first script, which is more than almost five years ago, which is before QAnon even became a thing. So it's preposterous to even drag QAnon into this. And there's a reason, I'll talk about the reason that they're particularly targeting men. Um, because historically, Rich, we have not had men in this fight. It's particularly a fight fought by women. Mm. Uh, this, th- particularly, this fight for me started 28 years ago. I've been an anti-child sex trafficking advocate and abolitionist. And by God's grace, became a subject matter expert over 28-year period. Because when I was 18... In 1994, as a senior in high school, my sister was trafficked when she was 12. We had no father in the house, and it took us six years to find her. And by God's grace, I'm sorry, we found her. Uh, Yeah, we found her. And so we learned firsthand 28 years ago, and ever since, we've been fighting this fight. And so we're very closely connected with with the industry, those who fight, and we have never, never had mainstream media support ever. You know, in 2007, I went to the CNN building in, in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. I was a, 
a, a key uh, subject matter advisor on Jeffrey Epstein in 2007. And I went to Wolf Blitzer at CNN and I said, here's the facts. You be the champion. You be the hero. Let CNN be the hero. And that's the old CNN. And they dismissed it. They wouldn't touch it. So I wasn't surprised. Back in 2007. Seven. Yeah. Wow. They've never, Rich. And I, and I told Tim, Tim, they're going to come for you. But people need to watch this film because it is literally, proverbially, the, the scales are falling off of the eyes of Americans. Now, something the film doesn't do and can't do because it's not what they do. They just do rescues. It, it doesn't give the call to action for now. How do, I, how do we fight this in our local communities? And we have those answers for the American public. But first, we needed them to be aware. They need to be aware that law enforcement is not enforcing the law. Little things like this, Rich. Up until 2015, there were no mm-hmm. child sex trafficking laws in America. Zero. Wow. We all went to we all we all went to war and we won the battle, and we saw President Trump do incredible work on that matter. And now there's trafficking laws on the books. But now where you'll find that the district attorneys are prosecuting child sex crimes, not as child sex crimes. When we rescued, we had three rescues last week in Dallas, Texas. Minors, three. Last wow. week, American children trafficked, right? You cannot get the Dallas County judge or district attorney to take that case for what it is. They plead them down to a drug charge, a, a kidnapping charge even, or, or some arms charge. But they will not let these cases go into a court of law where the jury can throw the book at them. Because every time it goes to the court of law, the perpetrator gets 30 and 40 years. So law now, are they doing this because they don't have uh, state statutes on sex trafficking the way we have them at the federal level? Or is it because no, they no, no. some other reason across the country? All 50 states have incredible laws, but it's all you got to connect it with the movement at the time. So the same people that's fighting down to freedom now that's saying, oh, this is a action flick for white guys with with, you know, a worm brain like they want to ostracize right. the man. Because they don't want men to rise up and fight for children. It's for the same reason they told men, you have no voice in the abortion conversation. Right. For the same reason they don't, because they want to fight women. They're cowards. And so the men are rising up. The wives are taking their husbands to this movie. They are caring about their daughters. But it's a very uh, um, complicated scenario here because we're the number one nation on earth, the U.S., buying sex with children. We are. So now it gets tricky because if we say, okay, the cartel is flooding kids across the border, which is what down to freedom, that child in the movie was on, on the way to America, right? That child was being sold into America, which is a true story. Who's yeah. buying the children? It's American men that's buying. So now we got to address demand. It's a demand driven business. Supply meets demand. Well, what fuels demand? The entry level drug to demand is pornography. We also happen to be the number one producer and consumer of pornography. So we got a societal problem here, Rich. Yeah, a real problem. Big time. It, and it's a morality issue because ultimately it's a purpose issue. It's an identity issue. Okay, so if it's an identity issue, uh-oh, where have we heard that? They, the left, want to give children the choice of identity or superimpose a sexualized identity on them mm-hmm. in the classroom. Don't tell your parents. Well, if we're going to do that, then we have to absolutely debilitate women. So let's do this. Let's question the womb. What is a woman? 
It's all connected. This is Clearly. all connected. Very strategic to do what? Destabilize the nuclear family, call the white guy a supremacist, a neo-Nazi, silence him, ostracize him. He now gets stuck in pornography because intimacy is now relegated. It is a black hole that our culture is in at the moment. And if we don't have the right conversation at this time, we can say sex trafficking is horrible. Great. But now what? Yeah. What what is what does Joe next door do for his family to make sure his daughter is not talking to a predator on Instagram because the government is covering Instagram with Section 230. They're covering the 72 million child porn images that's currently on Facebook that they refuse to remove because they've got coverage under Section 230. This is a very, very big conversation where society has to say, wait a minute. And for that matter, I'm thankful for Sound of Freedom. Very thankful. Because Let me remind everybody uh, what we're doing here. So we're talking about the film The Sound of Freedom with Jakob Buyens. He's uh, founder and CEO of After Eden Pictures, and uh, he's in charge of uh, Jakob Buyens Ministries, an anti-sex trafficking advocate. And I want to continue the conversation with uh, exactly where we're leaving off, which is what can people do to fight back against this stuff? How do we take action? And we're going to do that with Yako straight ahead. Plus your calls, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, so The Sound of Freedom, uh, the film that uh, came out on the 4th of July and uh, just this last weekend, had a $40 million weekend at the box office. It's a genuine box office phenomenon, and the the corporate media seem to be uh, very bothered by this. You've got The Washington Post, The Guardian, and other of uh, the big-name usual suspects out there, um, you know, being critical, not making any mention of the film, that it's really, really good and that people are out there watching it. And, and of course, how could they ever bring any attention to say, oh, this is really great that, you know, they're having such success? They can't because then it would give um, credence to the idea that the what they're calling a crazy QAnon conspiracy film is um, actually succeeding. And I don't think they ever want to do that. Our guest, Jakob Buyens, uh, he's a anti-sex slavery trafficking advocate and a founder and CEO of After Eden Pictures, also the head of uh, Jakob Buyens Ministries. And we were discussing how men are ostracized from the conversation and how people can take action. We just don't know what to do. Jakob Buyens, welcome back. Thank you so much, Rich. Appreciate you. Yes, sir. And what what is your... Um, recommendation being that you're on the front lines of this for the last uh, you know almost three decades uh, wh- what is um, your recommendation to everybody out there that's listening to actually take action to fight back I mean yeah we can go to a movie 
and and learn about it. But what can what else can people do? Yeah, and that's what needs to happen. Look, knowledge is power, and and knowing that it happens is step one. But now we need to take action. So, and this is this is a shameless plug. If people go to our website, helpjbm.org, we have over twelve hundred pieces of resource for families. Resource such as how do I talk to my son about trafficking? How do I find out if he's stuck in pornography? If he is, how do I get him out of it? How do I get my husband out of pornography? How do I have this conversation with my teenagers to say this is this is this is the wolf out there? There is a wolf out there that's prowling, looking for you, intentionally profiling. It's a crime of the exploitation of vulnerabilities, right? So the predators are looking for a child that's vulnerable. Well, Maslow's hierarchy of needs tell you that the baseline of vulnerability is food and shelter. Then it's love and belonging. Then it's you know, and up, up the ladder you go. So it's just a predator on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, looking for a vulnerable child and then exploiting the vulnerability. And, and so when we, when we educate our teens where they may be vulnerable and we fortify their vulnerabilities, they are now less susceptible for falling into trafficking. The predator passed them by because they're cowards. They're looking for a soft target. We can actually end this, Rich. If we're proactive and we're training families, pastors, youth pastors, school principals, and say, this is the conversation. Here's the tools and the mechanisms. Ask your teenager if they've ever had these 10 questions asked of them on social media in a DM. If the answer is yes, that was a predator. Ask your teenagers if they're using these emojis. Or if someone that's talking to them ends their conversation with one of these emojis. Because if it is, it's a predator tagging your child to send a signal to another predator that she's a soft target. It's a, co- it's a language. This is factual. It's real. We're in this. Wow. Every- we train the FBI. There's things we can do. Then, as constituents... We can do things to put pressure on our politicians because there's things they can do. We've tracked 140 child sex crime bills in this last session that were not passed to protect children against this very issue. Those politicians in those states should be exposed. They should be voting records should be exposed. It should be shown. And we list those bills. Hey, um, Illinois. These guys killed this bill, and this bill was to protect your children from pedophilia and, and, and sexual exploitation in the classroom, you know, or, or you know, uh, mine, uh, you know uh, lowering penalties against sex traffickers or canceling your state sex offender registry, California, or New York, letting pedophiles out on the street with, without bail. The people don't know. There's physical things they can do to safeguard their communities and put pressure on their, on their you know, elected officials. An extreme amount of pressure right now, Rich, needs to be placed on Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell right now. Mm-hmm. Lindsey, Graham and, Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell have a responsibility right now with this awareness to go with the Senate and Congress and say, we must repeal and reform Section 230. We have to remove because... Instagram right now is the number one platform where trafficking transactions are happening, where children are being lured by pedophiles. Instagram. But they're flying yeah. under protection. That protection, they're not, all we know, we saw in the election, 
we understand now that these social platforms are publishers. They, they do give commentary. They do poll. They do push votes in a certain direction. They do curate content. They're like a news organization. They should not have the protection they have under Section 230. If we just do that alone and class action suits start mounting up against these guys when there's child porn on their sites, by default, we're cutting off a funnel, an access highway between the buyer of sex with a child and the actual victim. We're cutting off that funnel. It's like choking them, right? Right. We must do, we must do all of it including securing the border because children are flooding. We, we, 11 trips to the border in the last five months, been shot at by the cartel, wearing the bulletproof vest deep into Mexico, in the brothel districts looking for children. That's what we've been doing. And let me tell you, it is out of control. Secretary Mayorkas, and this is something that Town of Freedom is speaking into. Hey, children are coming into this country. This is why, could you imagine if Corinne Jean-Pierre tomorrow student as a press secretary of the United States, and she said, you know what? President Joe Biden had an epiphany. Give him the benefit of that last night. And he realized that children are being sold for sex across our border. If she said those sentences, the American public would demand the border to be shut down tomorrow. Yeah, but that is I- happening. I think you're right. Yako, hang on for a second. We're going to take a quick pause here. Folks, we're on with Yako Buyans, head of Yako Buyans Ministry. And uh, I think what he's talking about right now is so incredibly important. Uh, he's the founder of After Eden Pictures, and he's an anti-sex trafficking advocate. Don't move a muscle. You don't want to miss this. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We're going to wrap up with Yako Buyans. We're discussing uh, his reaction to the media's blackout of the Sound of Freedom film and what people can do to hold their elected officials accountable to make sure that we take action on this issue. Jacob Williams, in the time we have left, let everybody know, um, you know, your final thoughts and of course, how they can follow you and support the work you're doing. Thank you, Rich, again, for putting voice to this. Uh, it's literally going to save lives. Now Amen. I just, I want the American people to be educated, really educate yourself. Now that you're enlightened, now go deep. And, and it's about fortifying your family making sure that your children, then you, make it personal. This has to become personal and local. It, it, start local. It, it, talk to the buddies at the golf course. Talk to your, your family members. Speak to your children. Educate them. Go to our website, helpgabm.org, and follow us on Instagram, yaku.boyans. I am standing. Thank you, Yaku. God bless you. Godspeed and everything you're doing. Hope to have you back soon. Thank you. You bet. All right, folks, Open Phone America's coming right up, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Your calls and more straight ahead. Don't miss it. We're coming right back. I'm Rich Valdez.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S on all of these social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. It's the Wednesday night edition, and I'm happy to be here with you. Join us by phone. It's Open Phone America, uh, a long-lived tradition here on this program, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ is the phone number. And a bunch of things we're going to get into. We've discussed a number of things tonight. We've had uh, some extensive discussion on Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI, being grilled by members of Congress earlier today. And um, I'll play some of the additional clips of audio that we didn't get to earlier and I might even replay some of the ones we did play because uh, some of them were really good, like the exchange with Jim Jordan, outstanding. I think it's worth listening to every minute. I think it's two minutes long, definitely worth listening to uh, because it, it's a brilliant point that he makes, uh, how they targeted Catholics. Uh, then there's there's a bunch of other things that I wanted to get to, but we talked about how big pharma is influencing Bernie Sanders and Republicans to um, push this price cap on out-of-pocket expense at the pharmacy, but doing nothing to control the cost of the overall price of the drug. And this is, uh, you know, it's a political sleight of hand, and that's uh, something that's going on in Washington. And, of course, we talked about the film The Sound of Freedom, but large, uh, the larger picture being the human trafficking uh, for the sex slave trade. And... This is an issue that uh, we speak about often here. And honestly, the only reason I speak about it often here is because I've had the um, privilege of interviewing people that have survived coming out of that industry, out of that slave trade. And it is heartbreaking to me. It really is heartbreaking to me. So um, we'll we'll continue those discussions, plus your calls and opinions on all of the uh, topics that we're discussing, plus the ones you want to bring to the table. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. But before we get to your calls, and I know you're, you're calling in and we're going to get you lined up and ready to go, I want to get to something. And part of what I want to discuss uh, before we hit the open phones is this uh, interaction between Vivek Ramaswamy, who's running for president, and a heckler, right? Somebody starts heckling him, and he handles it extremely well. And she eventually um, lets her guard down. Listen to this. The number of rapes that are actually reported in the U.S. Republicans are raping people. But he's talking about the number of rapes that are occurring, and this person's yelling, saying, you don't know about this, and you don't know about that. And, and he's, um, he's uh, attempting to calm her down. Go ahead, let it play. You can, you can say something to me. It's okay. Come back. Come on back. It's okay. This is my viewing. Come on up. It's okay. You can ask me a question. 
and then I will answer. Do you want to ask me a question? Yes. You can do that. If somebody non-consensually rapes me, I'm not having their child. This is my choice with my body. I'm already raising a kid that somebody implanted in me and doesn't take care of. The system does nothing for the single mother. There's no child support and nobody goes after them. I've been raising name? a child by myself for eight years. Name? My name is Kayla Crest. And are you a mother? I am a mother. Okay, thank you. And my kid is successful and I don't want to be frowned upon. I don't want to be put down because I'm a single mother. My kid is healthy, happy, and successful. Thank you, Kayla. And I want to say you're doing one of the most important things is a mother raising more children in this world. Even if we have our disagreements, I want to say thank you for that. So thank you. And part of what it means to live in this country is we have free speech. We get to speak our minds openly, even if we all don't agree on it. So let's actually applaud her for the courage. Come into a room and ask So again, this is uh, Vivek Ramaswamy again a couple of days ago in a campaign event. And um, he praises this protester who interrupts his campaign event. Uh, and again, I think this is mark of a, of, of a skilled communicator, right? That's how you talk to people. That's how you deal with people. Uh, you, you don't just um, eject them. You don't just um, fight them. But you, you listen to people and, and you give them a chance. That's what I try to do. And listen, doesn't mean I'll do it 100% of the time. There will be times or if I have the ability, I'll say, you know what? Get them out. <laughs> and then there will be times where I go... I'm not even having this conversation, but I think in a situation like that, where this woman is clearly distraught, you know, she goes from yelling to crying and saying that, you know, what about people that are raped and, uh, and, you know, being forced to have these children because you're pro-life and then, you know, going from that third person to then going to the first person where she says, I, I was implanted with a child. And again, and not, not being angry with the child, being angry at the situation, at the harm that was done to her. And uh, I think he handled it well in, in, in every sense. But it was, it was so important that, to me, that we have these conversations, right? That we actually have those discussions. That we don't just ostracize people. And it's critical that we have that talk on every topic, right? And that's part of the reason why I love my job. And I love connecting with you guys across the country. We've got callers from all over. Some of you like me, some of you can't stand me, but I'm willing to speak with you. And it's because I think we have to have that conversation. We, we need to have this dialogue. We have to connect because it really doesn't help if we don't, right? Uh, but, Kayla Christ, she's from uh, Stanford, uh, Stanwood, Iowa, excuse me, she interrupted Ramaswamy's remarks by shouting, protect our women, Republicans are raping people, and, you know, just being angry. And he, he talked her down, and he said he wanted to give her a chance, and and they had this conversation, and I just think it was it's really what the American system is about, right? It really is. Uh, and, and I think that's the, the beauty of our dialogue the, the beauty of how we came about as a, uh, as a nation where we, we had disputes amongst ourselves, you know, the constitutional convention, you know, that these were disputes, the uh, Jefferson, Madison, that there, people were not on the same page, but we got on the same page and we found which pages we, we were on uh, mutually. 
and, and you find that common ground and you get it done. And uh, so kudos to, to Vivek Ramaswamy for, for doing that and having that and, and setting forth that example because I think that's incredibly important, necessary, uh, required in order for us to move forward as a nation. Anyway, I'm going to get to your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Plus, we're going to talk about what is a sleep divorce and how can it help improve things in the bedroom? Well, we're going to learn a little bit more about that in a moment as well. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. In live late night radio, six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here taking your calls, having a late night conversation with all of America, and I love doing it. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to John, Portland, Maine, W-L-O-B. John, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Primo mio, I'm delighted to talk to you, Rich. Thanks so much. Bienvenido. Welcome. Thank you, sir. I caught part of Mark Levin tonight. A great one. He called. He, wow, yeah, he called Joe Biden Barboso, except ah. he actually he actually mispronounced it slightly, and he said, "I don't think it was intentional." But he actually said Joe Biden Barboso. I thought Barboso might even be better. I just thought it was funny. I thought <laughs> you'd get a smile. Oh, that is funny. Let me tell you. Well, first of all, the great one is uh, is a mentor of mine. I've spent, you know, uh, half of a decade working with the great one, Mark Levin. Uh, I learned so much from him and have nothing but respect for him. Uh, he's uh, like family, if you will. And and I love the guy, so I'm happy to hear that. And and uh, always give kudos to the great one, Mark Levin, who's got a new book out, by the way. And um, we're, we're going to have him on to talk about the book soon. Uh, but uh, I always appreciate that. And the reality is that Joe Biden is a baboso. He really, really is. Um, you know, his his mumbling and bumbling and, and uh, almost drooling right lately. It seems like uh, I'm just waiting for any moment for the drool to just start, you know, falling out of his mouth because, um, you know, he, he seems so beyond his prime, if you will, to, to borrow a line from Don Lemon. Uh, but also, I feel like he reminds me in many ways of my dad. My dad had a traumatic brain injury in, in the last like 10 years of his life, but he always remembered being a tough guy. You know, there was always that memory. And I think for Biden, he always remembers being a political gangster, being a a corrupt politician. And, and that's why he's so good at, you know, just flashing his his his, his teeth and squinting and, and just 
you know, trying to get out of it of a tight situation, making a joke or something. And I, I'm Joe Biden's husband. <laughs> and you know, you have a couple of go-to jokes and they work and you, you know how to work a crowd cause you've done it your whole life. And, and I think we see that on display and that's why people are like, no, he's got it all together, but I don't think he really has it all together. And I'm not saying he's, he's, um, you know, falling apart. I'm just saying, I just th- don't think he's par for the course. Yeah. You know, given, uh, the, the tall order that it is to be president right now. And in many ways, uh, it's a tall order because of him, right? And the policies that he put into place very early on, which I think were mistakes in my opinion. Now, John, when um, when you hear the term a sleep divorce, uh, what does that mean to you? Have you heard about this before? Well, to be honest, I haven't heard that yet. What was that about? Uh, well, it seems that a sleep divorce is when, uh, yeah, you don't sleep in the same bed anymore, uh, because of whatever reason, right. That that snoring, um, whatever, you know, getting up to go to the bathroom and some couples are saying they stopped sleeping in the same bed or even in the same room and it's made their relationship that much better. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. So I figured uh, I'd put that out there for the audience. I, I, don't, I don't know how that would work, but, um, you know, it, it, it's interesting nonetheless. But that idea has been around a long time. I know a lot of couples, older couples say it works for them. I mean, after at certain ages, I mean, you're less functional and interested in that area of your relationship anyways. So I know for a lot of older people, that does work. I mean, I'm not there yet, but I have, I've heard that for many decades. I just didn't know the new term for it, you know? So right. Well, and you know, I what's interesting here is what this article in particular is talking about. They're saying that people sleeping, literally sleeping in a, in different beds or different rooms is improving their intimacy. Their actual sex life is better because they're not angry at the other person for snoring or elbowing them or stealing the comforters or whatever, which I find interesting. Um, it really is interesting. So uh, very interesting take there. Thank you for the call and for the update. I appreciate it. I always uh, got a lot of love for the great one. And for everybody uh, from John's part of town, Portland, Maine, listening on WLOB. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Um, now, let me give you a little bit of the scoop on this, right? So this is in the New York Post, and it says that uh, her spouse and her got a quote-unquote sleep divorce and it made their sex lives better than ever. Mara and Christopher Domland were constantly at each other's throats until they quit sleeping together. Mara, 30 years old, says that um, she's a stay-at-home mom of five kids and they're toddlers ranging from two months old to 10 years old. And so she was perpetually cranky due to a lack of sleep. I can only imagine. And she said most of it wasn't the kids. It was due to her husband's buzzsaw-like snoring. Sound like a wood chipper. I've heard that before. And uh, Christopher, her husband, who uh, works from home, he's a crypto day trader, he was tired of getting elbowed in the back all night for causing a loud, albeit unintentional, ruckus as his wife was sleeping. So these uh, soured sweethearts who'd been together for 11 years decided to split up, but only at bedtime. Sleeping separately has totally improved our relationship. 
is uh, the quote that came out of this, right? Fascinating. They say they're much happier now. Now there's more physical touch and closeness between us during the day because we're not grumpy and trying to sleep together at night. Who would have known? Mara and Christopher, who've been uh, catching Z's separately on the couch uh, and their bedroom, are snuggled up uh, for, let's see here, it says they, they had been snuggled up for the last seven years, and now there's a growing number of couples who are opting uh, for the same thing, which is known as a sleep divorce. I'd never heard of such a thing, although I have heard of, you know, people having uh, separate bedrooms or whatever because of snoring and whatnot. And I myself was a chronic snorer, but I wasn't leaving anywhere. Uh, probably why I'm divorced. Anyway, uh, turns out the couple was way ahead of the game when it comes to this surprisingly hot relationship trend. A new survey conducted by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine found that one in three married couples in the United States have chosen to sleep separately from their spouse in an effort to improve their marriage. The report also found that millennial and Gen Z couples um, between the ages of 18 and 42 were the most willing to, um, I guess, agree to a, uh, a quote-unquote sleep divorce with their spouse. And Gen Xers and baby boomers were more reluctant to get on the um, sleep divorce bandwagon. Interesting. So this idea, this concept of a sleep divorce is an unconventional nighttime arrangement that sees partners catching Zs at their own bed or bedroom instead of a mutual bed or bedroom. And it's leading to a better night's rest. Now, I don't know um, if anybody out there does this. I'm not going to criticize you if you do. You might be a genius like this article is suggesting these people were ahead of the curve. But very interesting, right? Very interesting. Reminds me of of the uh, the days when I was a little kid and I would see Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball in in a bedroom, you know, but in two separate beds. And I'm wondering maybe that's why they stayed together as long as they did. Or maybe it was because it was Hollywood because in real life I think they got divorced. But anyway, uh, your calls and more on this topic and everything else straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez. Again, that number, 833-4-VALDEZ, if you want to join us getting to your calls momentarily. 
I, I wanted to um, to mention something. The last couple of nights, and I, I just keep um, getting um, sidetracked. Uh, but let's see here. I think tonight, like right now, is your last chance to see the phenomenon known as the Northern Lights. Actually, you have until tomorrow. The Northern Lights, the last time that you can possibly see them from Michigan, and you can't typically see this stuff in the United States, will be on Thursday. So fascinating. Like, I've wanted to go to, like, Reykjavik, Iceland, to uh, to see this forever because I've heard it's so gorgeous, and I've seen it in photos, but I've heard it's nothing like actually seeing it. So, yeah, you can see the Northern Lights from the U.S. If you're a Michigander, and I know we have plenty that listen to this program, listen close. You've got until tomorrow to see the Northern Lights. Oh, hold on. Now I got Axios saying, sorry, stargazers. Turns out the Northern Lights won't put on a show on Thursday. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen here, if we are going to see it or we're not going to see it. But again, Let's see here. CBS News. Northern Lights will be visible in fewer states than originally forecast. Let's see if they give us a list of those states. I find this very interesting. Maybe you're thinking uh, we should be talking about Christopher Ray, but uh, I would like to see when we could see the Aurora Borealis. Let's see. Blah, blah, blah. All right. Alaska, South Dakota, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Maine, as well as parts of Canada, are expected to see the Northern Lights on Wednesday and Thursday. So you had part of your chance today and you've got until tomorrow. Uh, By the way, I wanted to make mention of this at the uh, top of the hour, but I'll do it now. I became a dad on July 13th, 2001, 22 years ago today, technically, right? Because it's past midnight on the East Coast. So uh, happy birthday to my firstborn. Her name is Jada. I love her to death. I called her actually before we started hour number three. And uh, as predictable, she's such a good girl. Twenty, She was 21 when she went to sleep uh, on her birthday, turning 22, where I knew she would be fast asleep. <laughs> I FaceTime her and she barely wanted to wake up to, to even talk to me. Uh, she's, she's, a, she's a homebody. She's a great kid. And, um, and she's 22. So happy birthday to her. I'll be posting some pictures. Um, a little bit later on the social media. Make sure you, you chime in on the social media. And I wanted to mention something on the social media. Listen to this, and we're going to get to your calls, I promise. 8334-VALDEZ. But this was really interesting. So yesterday, uh, last week, I'd gotten a call from actually one of the regulars that comes on this program, uh, Brian Leib, um, who was the executive director of Iranian Americans for Liberty. He um, recently um, resigned that position and accepted a new position as the executive director of case pack. And I don't remember exactly what case stands for, but it's a, uh, um, pro Israel, um, organization that poo poos anti-Semitism, obviously. And he was telling me all about what the acronym stood for and, uh, meeting with another uh, colleague of his, a former state department official, uh, who was deputy envoy for anti-Semitism at the United States, uh, state department. And again, pretty nice conversation with people, you know, just catching up because he happened to be in New York and we were at the bar at Trump Tower. And I look over to my right and I see a dog. I don't know what kind of dog. I should have asked. A beautiful dog. 
looks like, I don't know, if you if you mixed a border collie with uh, a husky, you know, the silvery, beautiful dog um, with blue eyes and small size, probably about 25, 30 pounds, maybe 40 pounds. <clears throat> but this dog was so elegantly poised and sitting at the bar with a martini with three large olives in it. And, and I just had to interrupt this very intellectual conversation on geopolitical affairs and say, excuse me, is there a dog at the bartender at the bar sipping a martini? And, and they thought it was funny. And then the, the one woman goes, the woman that's over there looks like a lady. I just did a hit on Fox news with. So I, I said, I'm going to go over there and take a selfie with the dog because I want a selfie with the dog that's at the bar. The dog looks so cooler than any of us do. So I go over there and I'm like, hey, can I take a picture of your dog? And it was kind of weird. And I don't normally fangirl over animals at bars, but I'd never seen an animal at the bar. So uh, they agreed to do it. They even agreed to take the picture for me. And I posted that on my Instagram. So if you want to see a photo with me and the, and the dog that had the martini, I was drinking the Argentine Malbec. Uh, but the dog had a martini in front of it. Now, I'm not going to say that they served the dog a, a real martini, but I guess it was for the owner. But at the moment I looked over, the, the martini was there and the dog was there and it looked like the dog was about to start like slurping up a martini. It was so funny, the cutest thing ever. And and uh, I just wanted to share that because when I put the picture up, a lot of people kept saying, who was having the martini, you or the dog? It was clearly the dog that was having the martini, not me. I'm not a martini guy. Anyway. I'm going to get to your calls right now. Let us go to Frank Evergreen, Montana, K-O-F-I. What's going on, Frank? How are you, sir? Hey, pretty good. Congratulations on your uh, uh, paternal uh, gift there. Uh, oh, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Hey, uh, in the history of Montana, it goes back to, you know, of course, the Spanish and the French. And you know, Spain sold uh, the, the land to the French, and then the French sold it to the U.S. And uh, during that process, there were there were what was called the burgers. It was B-E-R-G-E-R. They were, the French would, were the burgers. Mm-hmm. And, and were, it was a family on both sides of France and Germany, and they were shepherds. That's what the name means, but they also, uh, they brought the cattle uh, up across uh, North, uh, Minnesota, North Dakota, um, also uh, up through the Chicago area, the Midwest, and uh, into Montana, and they established many towns. One of the, one was Lewistown, that was uh, north of Bozeman, and uh, there was um a lot of Catholics in that family, and on both sides, and uh, and during the rush uh, for the land rush, that's where a lot of the Germans came in. Uh, that side of the family, but there were um, there was a lot of gift to Montana with uh, games. There, there, there was uh, the right. sheep and then the wool wool industry, but uh, they made really good. Uh, relations with the Native Americans. There wasn't a big slaughter like this. And a lot of them were inter, um, intermarried. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's just not... What, what's the um, the man. end result here, Frank? Oh, it's a better meat. 
that, that they brought across. It, it was better than the, the meat that came in from the Spanish and from the South. Uh, uh, the Longhorns were, weren't the best for uh, like raising the bison? here. Like Well, the, of course, the bison were here, but definitely the, it, they brought a better beef in, industry oh, into the well. area. Yes, and uh, just a lot of people don't know about that. But uh, Yeah, no, I found that interesting. I think, I'll, um, you know, I only know a little bit about that because I know that Montana uh, is montaña without the ñ, without the accent on the N. And because of its days um, oh, and the Spanish influence of everything. Now, I want to ask you, I don't know if you're married or not, but have you ever considered having a sleep divorce? And would you if uh, your spouse or, or, you know, your wife or you snored so much that it, it would keep you up? You'd, would you agree to like permanently sleep in a different location? Well, um, my ex is no longer living. She she died of cancer, and uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I never remarried or anything. But uh, uh, no, I I don't know what I, I would do. I would probably just sleep in another bed if it was just too much of a, a snoring problem. Then there's no way I could put up with a chainsaw sound right next to my eardrums. You know, you know, just couldn't do it. Anyway, but that's. Me. Yeah, well, it sounds like you're down for the sleep divorce, right? The only time you're separate is when you're sleeping. Yeah, fascinating, right? Fascinating the things that happen with with our lives. Thank you, Frank. I appreciate it. I appreciate the uh, Montana history lesson as well. Uh, we're going to get to the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. We're going to get to your calls momentarily. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. But I want to talk about Kamala Harris. Now, listen, you guys know that you could listen to any of the guests that you may have missed on this program at richvaldezamericatnight.com, right? So anything that you've missed, richvaldezamericatnight.com. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can listen to archived shows. Uh, but you may not know, and if you don't, I'll remind you, that I have a separate podcast that we record once a week called This Is America with Rich Valdez. And This Is America I've done for years. And it's um, usually commentary on different things. And I kind of, you know, let loose a little bit since it's a, a lighter program and you hear a little bit more of my uh, affinity for hip hop music and whatnot. And one of the things I like to do is make a little parody every now and again, whenever I can. And what came to mind once was to make a song, an intro, if you will, every time we talk about Vice President Kamala Harris, that we should make a song for her, a little theme to get prepared for the the 
entertaining and informative report that's about to follow whenever we mention her. And there was a song some years ago by a great um, salsa band named, I believe they were called DLG. And, you know, it had a great beat like, and it had a hook on it. And the hook on the song was in Spanish and it said how bad she is, which is a nickname you've heard me use for Kamala Harris here. I call her Que Mala Eres. Now, Que Mala Eres um, means how bad she is in Spanish, but there's an actual song about it. And I said, you know, what if if, if Count Delacula were to get us a little bit of that beat and then add a little reverb to my voice and a little echo and we were to add it all together with my little I think we'd get this. Listen to this. That's the Kamala Harris song. Kamala Harris, how bad she is. That's Kemala Eres. That's the Kemala Eres song. And we're going to use uh, Vice President Kemala Eres and her theme song every time we talk about her between now and the election in 2024. And if it drives you crazy, then I did my job well. <laughs> I love to tick people off. Anyway, uh, I want to talk about Kamala Harris because uh, she, today she made an attempt to explain artificial intelligence just like she's attempted to explain things like the school bus. I remember those school bus where she was saying, well, it's, it's a bus and it's for school kids and it's yellow and it's big. You know, when she gets really in-depth on her explanations, and I thought I was guilty of oversimplification. Well, she's taken it to a new level. Listen to this. And I think the first part of this issue that should be articulated is AI is kind of a fancy thing. It's, first of all, it's two letters. It means artificial intelligence. But ultimately what it is is it's about machine learning. And so the machine is taught and part of the issue here is what information is going into the machine that will then determine, and, and we can predict then, if we think about what, machine, what information is going in, what then will be produced in terms of decisions and opinions um, that may be made through that process. All right, so that's uh, Vice President, la Visa Presidenta, Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris. And she uh, was making this attempt to explain AI by saying, you know, the usual word salad, that it's AI, it's two letters, it's machine learning. I mean, obviously restating the obvious. That's, that's literally um, her specialty. And saying it's kind of a fancy thing. <laughs> Our vice president. You know, it's funny. Whenever I, I, I make a, a, a slight on her, somebody always says, but, you know, she's vice president. It's not really a big and important position. And I'm thinking, come on, man. I mean, there was, um, what was his name? The guy that looked like um, the actor. He was George Bush's VP. Help me out here. No, that's the other George Bush, not Dick Cheney. Dan Quayle, right? Potato, potato. Yeah, so Dan Quayle, who couldn't famously spell potato, potato. I never held that against him because I also cannot spell potato or potato. Uh, I mean, I think it's P-O-T-A-T-O. But I think he added an E, and that's why he got it wrong. Uh, But again, uh, I've I've won some spelling bees, but I didn't win them all. Anyway, Dan Quayle uh, was this kind of vice president, I think, where he was um, 
I mean, I don't think he was this bad, but you know, he, he, he they made light, they made light of him. They took shots at him. Uh, but Kamalitis is in a league of her own when she says these things. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a fancy thing. I mean, come on. I, I just don't see how, sh- how she, um, the few things that you have, the few moments you have to shine and let America know and remind the people know that you are, you know, one heartbeat away from the nuclear codes and running this country. And and these are the things that she talks about. AI, well, you know, it, it's two letters. It's artificial intelligence. Thank you, lady. Thank you so much. Okay, my lattice, you really are how bad you are at this job. Oh, boy. Anyway, let's see where we go from here. We take a quick pause, and then we come back to your calls. Uh, We're going to go to Michigan, Vermont, West Virginia. We got lots of people lined up. We're going to talk to you guys momentarily. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. the phones we go tommy charleston west virginia wchs tommy what's going on my brother uh thank you for the opportunity mr valdez but uh as you know uh since uh early 20 uh 21 uh the vice president has been the point person for the immigration issue uh, yet i believe she has still never visited the border uh, correct me if i'm wrong but no, she got down uh, to El Paso, Texas. That was as close as it got for her. Oh, wow. I'm surprised. Well, I want her to go back to El Paso. You can play that uh, uh, clever jingle you've crafted. Uh, <laughs> She's going to dance to it with the mayor of El Paso and end up winning re-election. It would be, yeah, but then again, she might be afraid to get dirt on her Gucci loafers and not go back. Good point, Tommy. I think you might be right about that. And I love hearing your New York accent in West Virginia. Brings me a special kind of joy. Hey, Tommy. Whoa. Love you, man. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody on WCHS in West Virginia. Uh, Let's continue with Lori in Colchester, Vermont, WVMT. Lori, go. Hey, buenos dias. No, buenas noches. All of the above. Buenas. All of the above. Thank you, thank you. We don't have much Spanish up here. Uh, quickly, sleep divorce. Great thing. It really is. You, have <laughs> you have, done it? But, oh, yeah. Yeah, my husband and I sleep in different rooms. He likes stimuli, the TV running or the radio running. And you need science. And he snores, but the uh, radio or TV on keeps me up because I get engrossed in it. Of course. How can you ever sleep if everything's good? You know, it's funny. I used to be like him, and now I'm like you. When I'm out, I got to be out. I'm, I'm blackout curtains, eye patches, and everything. Lori, thanks for the call. Everybody, take care. Good night. God bless. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, you keep listening to this station, and I'll be back again tomorrow. I'm Rich Valdez. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.